With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Screen Talk is brought to you by Cartel Land from A&E Films in the Orchard. Filmed with unprecedented access, Cartel Land is a riveting on-the-ground look at the journeys of two modern-day vigilante groups and their shared enemy, the murderous Mexican drug cartels. An Academy Award nominee for Best Documentary Feature. David Edelstein calls Cartel Land one of the most important documentaries of the year. Kenneth Turan of the LA Times says, Astonishing. The key to success in verite documentaries is access, 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 which is what Cartel Land has in compelling amounts. Winner of IDA's Courage Under Fire Award and 2015 Sundance Director and Special Jury Awards for Cinematography. Nominated for BAFTA, DGA, Critics' Choice, and Gotham Awards for Best Documentary. Directed by Matthew Heineman, executive produced by Catherine Bigelow. Cartel Land. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief film critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson from Thompson and Hollywood, who's getting down to the wire in terms of figuring out the uh, final details of the Oscar race with the big day just around the corner. But one of the things that uh, took place most recently in terms of all that stuff isn't about just kind of looking at how things are going from afar, because you were in the thick of it with this big luncheon that takes place every year for all the nominees, and they do a big group photo. So tell us a little bit about being in that in the thick of it. What, what did you get from kind of seeing all these people in, in one room at the same time, something like 150 nominees, I believe? It was really fun. Um, it's always fun to sort of watch people meeting each other. Um, you know, I, I went up to... Um, uh, this guy, uh, ex- Alex Garland, who, who had been, uh, you know, the, the writer-director behind uh, Ex Machina, who's nominated for screenplay. And he was talking with this woman I had never met, who was Francine Maisler, who's one of the great casting directors in town, you know. And uh, I went up to date to uh, Roger Deakins, who just did um, Hail Caesar and, and was nominated for Sicario. And he's going to be doing Dennis Villeneuve's next movie which is blade runner you know and whereas ridley scott is doing uh you know the next uh, sort of uh, prometheus aliens installment you know it's sort of it's, it's an interesting choice there um so you know will will roger deakins get a 14th nomination you know for for uh for one of these movies you know um, he's already in contention for hail caesar as far as i'm concerned uh, and I already, um, well, that movie's performed a bit disappointingly, actually, um, even if the critics enjoyed it. Hey, all um, I'm saying is he did a really good job on it. It's so. beautiful, <laughs> and, and it was a high degree of difficulty. Um, so, because uh, it, it was like a lot of different movies in one, exactly. you know, that he had to figure out how to do, you know, uh, Esther Williams shots and and musicals and every, everything. But he, Roger Deakins, he can do anything. But the funny you know? thing about this tangent is just sort of like what, what you're sort of reflecting is that the, the kind of nature of Oscar campaigning isn't just about who will win, but what you can sort of set in motion by virtue of being a nominee at this stage of the year. 
Well, it's also, you know, you become aware, um, you know, I got a kick out of the fact that up on the risers when they called all the people up to stand, you know, that Alicia Vikander and Rooney Mara were standing next to each other and, mm. and next to Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio, and next to The Weeknd. I mean, you just get these, these, dis, these, <laughs> these dis, you know, these strange, and it looked like, I mean, Leo and and the weekend were were like buddies. Yeah, they were ha- hanging out. They're cool you know? guys. You know, yeah. it makes no. I mean, no, I got the distinct impression <laughs> that they actually knew each other. Right. Basically. Right. Um, whereas Alicia and Rooney were meeting each other for the first time. They come down off the thing, and and Rooney says, hey, "Lovely to meet you." <laughs> you know? It's just like you get these moments. You know, you're brushing by, you know, Lady Gaga, and and and. Uh, um, you know, you see Jennifer Jason Lee hugging uh, somebody. You see Jacob Tremblay, you know, meeting Sylvester Stallone, who's smart enough to figure out the perfect photo op, which is to get the little nine-year-old to sort of pretend to punch him in the face, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you see you see these, these, these strange... Uh, you know, I got to meet uh, Jack Fisk and his daughter, uh, Skyler, who's the daughter of Sissy Spacek, you know, and uh, and he told me he told me that the that that the Revenant wasn't the toughest movie he'd ever made. And the toughest movie he'd ever made was was the the, the thin red line, you know, so so it's it's funny, you know, to to just wander around looking at you know all these women who are ordinarily you know pretty cool customers sort of losing their their shit you know meeting leo <laughs> you know? and, and he, he just, laps it all oh up. he's he just takes it for granted he's so used to it you yeah know? He's, he, but he i really... mean th- there is some kind of interesting status thing here that's sort of implied by a little bit of what you're talking about where everybody is sort of wowed by the big timers in the room to the point they where are. even if there's nominees there who you wouldn't know even if you're brushing by them i mean just earlier today i, I was i was uh uh, talking to somebody about Embrace of the Serpent, you know, this Colombian director, C- Ciro Guerra, right? Correct. Third feature. He was there. He was there the other day. And, and yeah. you probably knew who he was, but I mean, what, is, you know, what is the kind of divide? What's fun in that situation people? is to introduce them to people that they don't know, like the heads of, of Fox Searchlight or, or uh, you know, there's people there like Tom Bernard is, you know, Michael Barker. Michael, it was Michael Barker. He was there with with the guy from Son of Saul. You know, of course. Um, he so, kind of becomes a bodyguard at this time of year, Michael Barker at Sony Classics. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so you know, and then and Steven Spielberg is there, you know, and and Ted Sarandos from Netflix, and and uh, the Winter on Fire director, and uh, Josh Oppenheimer from Look of Silence, and Liz Garbus from uh, What Happened to Simone. You know, so everybody, the shorts people are meeting the features people, are meeting the animation people. It was fun. It's Really fun. So the vibe in the room sounds relatively positive, which is kind of a unique contrast when you think about the conversations earlier about just Oscar so white and all that stuff, which really kind of cast a sense of negativity over the entire season. Well, it was interesting is that I was, of course, taking advantage of the opportunity to interview some of the governors who made that historic decision about changing uh, the rules of voting eligibility. And clearly, and even today, Steven Spielberg came out in The Hollywood Reporter 
with a very strong statement that he doesn't think just because somebody's retiring that they should be not allowed to vote, you know, and, and that's a pretty powerful figure, you know, saying that they made a mistake here. And even all the governors I spoke to, they all said the same thing, that there was going to be rejiggering, revisiting, retooling, and that they were going to try to be more inclusive uh, because there's a whole group of people who've been working in TV or who who got into the academy late and didn't put in 30 years of active voting service, you know, um, who who are basically of retirement age now, and and they can, they're not going to be eligible to vote anymore. And people like Rhonda Haynes, the director of Children of a Lesser God, who wasn't nominated for director because they're sexists. So now she wasn't nominated, which doesn't give her immunity, and now she won't be able to vote. You know, so what good does that do? <laughs> I mean, there are, are a million going? bugs in the system, but what what see, what you seem to be saying is that just by virtue of talking about this and making some you know gestures toward changing the nature of this process. The, the the vibe has shifted a little bit. It's not people aren't as uh, infuriated by the outcome of the nominations this year as they were a few weeks ago because it's it's stimulated a different way of talking about how I this. I wouldn't put it that works. way. I would say that several things happened. Would, uh, would maybe the academy overreacted in a very defensive kind of way. Uh, maybe they took advantage of the situation to put in place uh, some plans that they had been discussing for a long time. But they did it hastily, and they didn't think it all the way through uh, under the gun of, of this sort of um, microcos- mic- microscope that was being placed, the spotlight that was on them. Um, if they looked at their own voting records, they would see how extraordinarily well the Academy has done over the years. It's just that they, you know, sometimes the numbers come up wrong on a given year, and this year was one of those years. To me, and I've been, the, the, I've gone through it to chapter and verse. I figured out why each and every one of those movies that was possible didn't get nominated, right. which you know? was not even a huge list of movies. And that yeah. points to just a bigger conversation about the way the industry works. I mean, the the onus being on the academy is one thing. I mean, that the outcome is is frustrating on, on a lot of different ways. But then you also you look at the movies, and, and it's you know statistically speaking. This this could the this could have gone one way or it could have gone another way. There wasn't like a whole bunch of different possibilities in terms of how you know the the nominees could have been more diverse. And in that sense, it's sort of like there just needs to be a broader systematic overhaul to how filmmakers get opportunities in Hollywood. I mean, I run into sure. all kinds of directors of from different backgrounds who are either turning to TV or just uh, struggling to get projects off the ground because you know. It's an African American well, director. I mean, and, a lot of it is yeah, true. I mean, women and they're they're all getting offered the wrong kinds of projects and all these kinds of things. The conversation about that seems to be the thing that you can't change with some sort of radical rule change. And so it's it's almost like a red herring to focus on the on the academy and and maybe on some level the conversation around the academy needs to be refocused a little bit 
to this broader question of how the industry hires people? Well, I think that conversation is occurring, and uh, it's just a question of putting it into some kind of real practice. I hope that Chris um, Rock you know, makes Meryl it a platform Str- for his Oscar. Oh, he's going to have he's going to have a field day. Wait. Meryl Streep, you know, got into some diversity controversy on the Berlin jury opening day, and at the same time that that she is putting her money where her mouth is and raising funds to support women screenwriters, you know, she's actually doing that. I know um, you don't want to talk about Zoolander 2, but it actually does reflect <laughs> some of this, I have to say. The the stunning failure of this movie and the way that everybody's kind of not into it is is really reflect a reflection of, of how much people want times to change because it's there's this silly kind of Benedict Cumberbatch character who plays this kind of transgender stereotype and the way in which people reacted to that in the trailer is nothing like the extreme vitriol of the reviews for this movie because that sense of almost like a a xenophobia that's supposed to be just the way the characters feel but is reflected in the actual movie just doesn't feel in sync with the kind of the the evolution of our cultural landscape and so on the other hand i would argue uh that's a movie i skipped you know you you know me i'm always on the lookout for bad movies to avoid. <laughs> um, but the movie I did go see, because I had been impressed with what I saw at um, Comic-Con, and I recognized that there had been a big reaction to it, was Deadpool. And what's good about Deadpool is that not only has Ryan Reynolds finally found a movie worthy of his skills, it's a perfect fit, but you know he's wise-ass, he's sarcastic, he's funny the dialogue is good you know he's he 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 owns this character but there's some strong women in the movie some really good strong kick-ass villain women and good hero women and a love interest who's actually worthy of deadpool um so it's it's all it's all good so dead and deadpool is a movie that's actually doing you know, relatively well. It's gonna kick ass this weekend. So yeah. you know, th- there's something to be taken from that to this kind of synthesis of giving the people what they want and also kind of rewiring expectations of, of you know the way that people need to see the world today to get what they want, and and that's that's valuable too. So uh, uh, all of this stuff seems to speak uh, well to kind of the next stage. Although, for all we know, we could be back here having this conversation in a year from now. I'm actually much more curious about how people are dealing with this new possibility by the Academy for credit scrolling at the bottom of the screen because that sounds like an even more radical change to the ceremony than who gets nominated. So they're saying you can submit in advance a whole yeah. bunch of people and then it, those names will just speed by at the yeah. bottom. So, yeah. See, to it's me, sort of like a ticker tape. It's like a news... It's like watching CNN or something. I, if I was one it. of those people, I mean, and if it I, would go, it would go. Kate Winslet, thanks her mother, her yeah. father, but her sister. First her of all, brother. that that sounds really confusing because, like, who's going to be paying attention? It's not a subtitled movie, you know. But also, yeah, I don't think I think people can handle. If that. I was I Kate just, Winslet's mother, I would want her to thank me in the damn speech, not on some. She's going to do it there too. Okay. <laughs> The, the point is, is that when somebody like Lady Gaga goes up there and she's Gaga and she can't say what she wants to say and she and Sylvester Stallone goes up at the Golden Globes and forgets to thank his director and gets into big trouble about it. You know, that's it avoids that problem. If Sylvester Stallone didn't mention Ryan Coogler, and Michael B. Jordan in his Oscar winning speech and it was just at the bottom 
Would that get him out of hot water? Yes, because he wrote those names down and gave them to the Academy, and they're there. Yeah, I don't know. It frees him up to give a little speech about, you know, what it really means to him, as opposed to taking the time to to list all the agents and the handlers and the... I think it's a good idea. To me, it's like the the speeches are, are, I think, what make the Oscars really interesting. It's not the comedic bits. It's when people... But won't this make the speeches better? Won't they make them more interesting so that they're not just listing Is anyone really going to... I mean, it seems like what's what's really interesting is watching people get incredibly emotional and react in different kinds of ways or trying, trying to say something that has an impact while also staring down millions of people, some of, you know, most of whom they can't see, and... If, if you kind of put somebody in a corner and say, okay, now you can just do your really basic speech without all this extra stuff, there, there's less unpredictability, and I just... I don't, I don't agree know. with you at all. I don't understand why you're saying that. I think this opens them up to being able to say the interesting stuff, you know, the emotional stuff, the stuff about the high school teacher that mentored them, you know, as opposed to worrying about this list of names that they don't need to waste their time with. Well, I just I, one of the things I always get a kick out of during the Oscar ceremonies when the, those people that you and I tend to know from kind of the indie space creep into people's speeches, you know, a sales agent or a distributor or something like that. So I'll be curious to see how those folks react when they wind up being the names that scroll by as opposed to sneaking into uh, that. Oh, program, they'll be thrilled. <laughs> they'll be fine. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask around. In any case, there, there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on in the race right now. Last time we spoke, we were sort of anticipating the DGAs in the wake of the SAG Awards, and now the WGAs are right around the corner. So there's still a couple of question marks associated with these Guilds Awards and how they Are you form. kidding? They're all split. It's a problem, you know, for us Oscar prognosticators. If you go big short at the PGA and then you go... Um, Revenant at the DGA, and you know that next week, this this weekend, the it'll be probably Big Short and and uh, Spotlight for Adapted and Original at the uh, Writers Guild. There's no and if the uh, Screen Actors Guild Ensemble goes to Spotlight, you know the, what the hell? <laughs> we have no idea. And a lot of the regular sort of tech guild awards are going to to Mad Max and and uh, and Revenant, and uh, you know those are the two sort of big scale movies along with The Martian, but they're the ones winning things. Well, but, I maintain that you know this is actually still kind of great because it it allows us to talk about a broader spectrum of movies and, and it doesn't feel like it's an open and shut case like it often does months in advance or those situations where you're just talking about two finalists or something to that effect. But I'm sure that it's putting you and, and your ilk on edge to some degree because... Well, we may look very foolish. <laughs> well, um, somebody's going to look great and everybody else is going to look foolish is what it sounds like because every, well, every pundit has if, a different you know, pick. What if something like Room were to sneak in, you know, and sort of remember the year that um, there was a year that just blew everybody's minds away. You know, best picture was was chariots of fire (laughs) and and uh you know you could just have one of these outliers just sneak through if 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 like four movies are competing for very close numbers mathematically how how would that mean like if if room is number two on a bunch of ballots exactly something to that effect does it seem like that's the kind of movie that that has that status right now 
not on the basis of any guild wins, right. but the fact of remains that that's the movie that won the audience award at Toronto. Right. You and, know, like Slumdog got, Millionaire. And it got best and, director and, and, uh, and it got actress. Uh, it got it, it, it did cameras. very well in the nominations. Now, most people would say to you, well, Brie Larson is going to win and, and that's the thing it's going to win. And, and people will say... On the Revenant, you know, Leo will win and Lubeski will win and maybe Sound will go to, to the Revenant, you know. And Mad Max will get, you know, production design and maybe editing, although that's a fierce race between so Margaret Sixel. So you dropped the George Miller possibility. I actually think George Miller is in the running with Inuritu. I think it's between the two Nick of them. Nick. Yes. And so there's no chance that because of that neck and neck, like you were saying for picture that a third possibility could sneak in. I think that you have Spotlight and Big Short chasing a very similar set of constituents, and then you have the big sort of craft-friendly, tech-friendly movies like um, Mad Max and The Revenant, and then you have something like Room could just throw up in the middle. That doesn't... I didn't mean that to sound like they were going to vomit out room, but it 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 it, it isn't likely. I like I'm just this saying, conspiracy you theory. You could though. have this crazy surprise in a race like this. <laughs> no, just but like I mean, in the supporting actress category, which is very close with Alicia Vikander and Kate Winslet and Rooney Mara, you know, something weird could happen there too. If if you lead the charge with the theory that Room is going to win, and Room wins, you you are going to be at the top of your game like never before. I mean, I just, <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of that because it's sort of, I mean, on a number Room of Room is levels. the kind of movie that could win because it makes people feel something. It makes them feel emotion, you know? But it's still a small, subtle, you know, artful piece of work, you know, like Brooklyn is too. It is unlikely. <laughs> I'm just positing that there could be a surprise. You mentioned Roger Deakins earlier, and cinematography is another really uh, compelling one to look at because you've been saying for a while that, that Chivo He's gonna get is, it. Is, is a lock, but Deakins is very well liked and Chivo won twice in a row, and that's never happened before, a third year in a row. That... Well, it's, it's, it's only happened twice that Best Director has been won two years in a row by the same director. Right, right. So that would be a pretty rarefied that. territory as well. And then let's get into the performance categories a little bit because for weeks and weeks, the only kind of definite lock people have been talking about is Leo. Yeah, I don't think that's going to change. So there's, there, there's just no chance then... That somebody else could upset no. the way, say, last because year. Because it's Leo, it's Leo in one of the most popular movies, and it's Leo after an entire career of not having won. So Leo is owed, he's due. It's the combination of those things that makes it inevitable. And it was a great performance of, you know, the tortured variety, you know. What about he suffered the, for I mean, his art. I, yeah, exactly. Although at the same time, that element of suffering has it seems like on some level has has been joked about a lot so i don't know if on some level that how much that plays into a narrative there but it you know there was that whole 
did he get raped by the bear story before the movie came out? And then once it came out, it's sort of like this really famous face suffering through all this kind of stuff. Does the Academy really see that as a great performance, or is it just sort of like they like Leo and that kind of? Well, they like Leo. Him. He's a major movie star. You know, if you feel him, if as it were, when you're in the room, you feel his presence. So, uh, 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 as well as Matt Damon, and and yeah. you know, and not not to be not to. It's someone like Brie Larson. Brie Larson is getting is going to win for a performance as an actress that is extraordinary and for the nature of that performance. But she's not a movie star in the room the way those boys are. Well, but in, in other ways, it is. If Kate Blanchett had been there, she would have been. Yeah. I mean, I think Brie Larson, if, if, if those who saw her in Short Term 12, which unfortunately is not a large group of people, knew about sort of yeah that was an indie indie world yeah it it does seem like it's her time in a different kind of way but what about you mentioned stallone earlier that guy knows how to play the scene is the supporting actor field pretty much a done deal as well or is it it seems i would have given tom hardy a lot of possibility for uh his role in the revenant but i have seen too many uh too much evidence of the kind of standing ovation that stallone uh inspires every time he he shows up um to i can't deny that that narrative is is, is a powerful so Stallone narrative and, Di- and dicaprio are, are really coasting on stardom this year they Almost are bigger than the performances themselves that's right but they gave good performances they're, they're they good i mean i think the dicaprio one is it gets a little trying after a while and i, I would argue with you about tom hardy and revenant i mean maybe Maybe he's got some extra momentum also because Mad Max is so well-liked and, and on that level, you know, there, there's some value there. He's just doing a lot of different interesting things, some of which work better than others. But uh, in the supporting actor category, it's what's funny about this is that I, before we were talking about him, Mark Rylance seemed like kind of a done deal. And I that's know. pretty much faded, before right? Before Stallone, yeah, it has. It's very interesting. It's true. I was and, thinking that. I mean, and day. that's like a, he's like a great character actor. I mean, he just seems like that's that, that category tends to favor those kinds of people or that's where, that's where. Well, let's see what happens at the BAFTAs. I mean, there could be some, some interest, you know, Kate Winslet or Kate Blanch, Blanchett or, or, um, uh, uh, someone like, um, like Rylance could do well at, at the BAFTAs. I, I have a feeling Carol is going to do well. At the right. BAFTAs. But Carol seems unlikely to, to do much of anything on, on actual Oscar night. Unless so. costume or, yeah. or, uh, or Rooney, if, if Rooney comes through. But again, that's a question of, of Alicia Vikander being a more winsome and winning campaigner than, than Rooney, who's always a little shy, mm-hmm. a little uptight. So we got WGA, DGA, and BAFTAs. Which, I mean, which one of these? If people were kind of like looking at these results as they come together, well, the BAFTAs represent. I mean, the writers represent one big branch of the Academy. The writers and and uh, the although some of the uh, movies that are actually nominated weren't eligible, so they can't compete. Um, and then you have um, BAFTAs represent a small group of the Academy. They do. So there's a there's a number of British members of the Academy, so, and they have they they affect the 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 momentum, the sense of a of, of winning momentum. Well, so, so speaking of all that, it's by the time this podcast is out in the world, Oscar ballots will be the the, the ballot will have, have begun tomorrow. Yeah, Friday. So. 
this is when things really get real. Well, a lot of people vote right away. That's one thing. They don't close until the 23rd of February at 5 p.m. They open at 8 a.m. Friday, the 12th. And a lot of people just go right in there and vote. And then there are other people who haven't seen the screenings yet, or they they still need to see the foreign films, or they still have to catch up on all the shorts, uh, stuff like that. They haven't seen the doc shorts. A lot of people don't vote for that stuff. They just don't vote for it at all. In in a sense, for a big portion of the Academy, the Oscar race is over like tomorrow, basically, in a sense. Well, it's going to be um, – there's there's still going to be some campaigning going on, but um, – and there has been. There have been a lot of these – these guild Q and A's and and stuff like that. Um, I went and did one with Margaret Sixel and John Seal and George Miller, which was really fun. Shows really the difference really between fun. what you do and what I do. Is I, I got asked to do one for the director of A War tonight in New York, uh, which is one of the foreign language nominees that's actually opening theatrically. Well, Tobias Lindholm is very cool. I envy him. I mean, the foreign language category in particular is really. Uh, uh, challenging in that sense because Son of Saul is, is such a well-known property at this point compared to basically everything else except Mustang to some degree. So in that sense, I mean, those those movies are still kind of going to need to fight just to to be out there, to be recognized at all. So next week will be closer than ever before uh, in, in terms of the, the Oscar race and... Um, We'll also be anticipating the Spirit Awards and so forth, um, and we'll try to keep our heads above water in that in that regard. I'll talk to you later. Later. Step into the world of power loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.